Welcome to Vickering Peaks, the Twin Peaks podcast that feels a bit like Jerry Horn out in the woods, lost, but in a very familiar setting. <laughs> I like it. Yeah? I like it. Yeah? Uh, welcome to Vickering Peaks, the podcast that asks the tough questions like, what the fuck, Chad? Or, what the fuck, Richard? Or, nope. Basically, that's it. And those are the Just two those questions. two questions over and over again. Well, what the fuck, night. DC, really? We, we still don't know what he's up to, but we can ask that later. I guess so. What the fuck, Diane? I guess we could yeah, that one in there, that one's too. definitely in the mix now. Just, for sure. just generally, what the fuck? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that sums up Twin Peaks well. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, part ten, Laura is the one. Yes. Uh, that's the one we're talking about. Yes. And your initial thoughts, high level. What did you think of the episode? I was a little bit uneasy about it when it first when it first aired. I mean, obviously, I was watching it at three a.m. Uh, Having just woken up from very deep slumber, so maybe that's the best time to watch Twin Peaks. It could be the worst time to watch (laughs) Twin Peaks. I'm really not sure, but um, but I finished the episode and I thought I I didn't know how to feel. Um, It's very disjointed. It feels like I think it was um, Vox or yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Vox who said that uh, it feels like an episode that put a bunch of pieces together that belonged. To other storylines but they had nowhere to fit them in so they put them into one whole episode or something like it mm. it drives the plot forward but it doesn't uh, it doesn't do so in yeah in like the traditional obviously this is Twin Peaks so it's not traditional linear Anyways, storytelling yeah. but um, in that kind of vein see I, I thought it, I thought it did like I, I, I agree for a little bit it's the pieces don't feel super connected but it does focus mostly on Richard and his evil yeah. ways, and um, a little, and on Dougie. Those were the two main characters of this episode, sure, right? Sure, sure. But I, I guess it just it, there were a lot of things that that came up that we hadn't talked about or seen in quite a few episodes, yeah. like Miriam and the whole Richard Horn. The whole Richard Horn story hasn't really been addressed since. Yeah, Andy's interview with the farmer guy. Yeah, or yeah, yeah exactly. So that was kind of it. Yeah. So that was kind of. I mean, not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it was it was jarring. And, and again, it's hard to judge it as a standalone episode. It probably wasn't my favorite standalone episode, if we're going to look at it that way. No. It's definitely no, more... Definitely um, it'll fit in, I think, much better when you have all 18 hours available. But, yes. Um, but I also thought that it was really funny. Like, like yes, laugh out loud funny. Yes, there funny parts, yes. So you've got this, like, super, super dark, disturbing... I mean, we're having conversations on Twitter with some of our followers who had, like, serious PTSD flashbacks during some of the scenes where it, like, seriously affected them in a, quote-unquote, triggering way. And then other scenes that are just, like... Hilarious. Absolutely laugh-out-loud hilarious. So, you know, it's towing a line. yeah. No, it's not even towing the line. It's jumping, it's jumping from across, yeah. across the chasm between yeah. horror and comedy yeah. and kind of effortlessly. Yeah, I don't it's know. True. What did you think? No, I agree. I think uh, I, I agree with most of what you said, except for all of it. Uh, so I, I, I liked that. I liked the way that the episode focused on these two plot lines that we hadn't followed very closely for a little while. We touched on Dougie a little bit, but yeah, Richard had not been a big uh 
force in the story for a couple episodes. And I like that we refocused on him. And I feel like, yes, he brought some prominence back to that role mm-hmm. and to the town of Twin Peaks and the evil that's there, mm-hmm. um, which is going to have to be dealt with as the series goes on. Um, but I, I did definitely feel like this episode part, whatever, is something that's setting the... It, it paced itself very particularly mm-hmm. in that 18-hour s- sweep again. So it's... Yes, it felt a little slow at times, and yes, it had just some comedic moments that didn't really push anything along in it. And it was very limited in its scope of the story. It really was just these two kind of stories being told for most for the most part. Yeah. Get a couple other shots. But um, I feel like that's just prepping us for something that's coming later. In fact, I, I think there's some very not-so-subtle hints in this episode about the fact that we are going to see something huge next episode. Yeah. Um, so we can talk about that as we no, go and it, it. I think you're right that it definitely is, like, it's... it's it, it was necessary to the story. It, it had There had to be these moments of pushing the plot along, kind of a little bit like last episode, but less big revelations and mm-hmm. more just these smaller moments, which Twin Peaks always had. But I think just on the grand scheme of things, again, with this 18-hour film, you're going to get them in much bigger chunks and much bigger, more concentrated installments. And I think that's what this episode, yeah. that's what Part 10 really functions as, is yeah. just a, a concentrated burst of plot development yeah yeah for these two stories yeah yeah and i mean similar we talked about that last week uh was part nine it was kind of the same thing it was different storylines mm-hmm. that were being focused on but it moved them along quite a lot especially around uh major breaks major and and, exactly so this is yeah just a, a counterpoint to it but it, it did feel a little different there was a lot more comedy comedy came from unexpected places i never thought that candy would be a you know a comedic character mm-hmm. but she really is and it's it works out really well this is a good place to mention uh, one small correction from last week's episode. Yeah. Um, so we had uh, one of our Twitter followers, Cooper S. Beckett, who uh, he's one of the hosts of Damn Good Podcast about Twin Peaks. And uh, he's also a non-monogamy relationship coach who hosts Life on the Swing Set, which is another podcast um, or co-hosts it. I guess there's more than one host. But um, he correctly and gently put us in our place about our comments ra- around Hutch and Chantel and their open relationship. We kind of hinted that, of course, they would have an open relationship. Of course, he would be sharing his wife with someone else because he's a criminal. And that's not what... Obviously, that's not true. There there are people of all stripes and colors and, and creeds who are into open relationships. If that's even what you want to call what, what Hutch and Chantel yeah, are engaged it's really, in, it's, it's Yeah, we it's just commented a, it was weird because it just, yeah, it wasn't expected to see him just often. I think it would have been, been more jarring had he been, you know, upset about the fact that Chantel was sleeping with uh, see, Mr. Yeah, C. I don't know. I mean, he just seems like a weird character. Hutch, at the end of the day, we really don't but know the, much but about But the him. fact that he's sharing yeah, his wife is not, is not the weird part. No. No. It's just, yeah. It was just, it was an, it was an avenue into his character, I think, yes. to, to see him do this. So, yes, um, very But good yes, point. Cooper was right to point that out. And we mea culpa. We stand corrected. Um, not all criminals are swingers. Not all swingers are criminals. Yeah, that's really the that's important the one. part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because I, I don't see the Mitchum <laughs> brothers uh, swinging their three girls. No, as much, much so. as they have the swinging bachelor pad <laughs> in Las Vegas, yes. the brothers Mitchum are are yeah. a different different breed of. Yes. As we'll Criminals. get into. Yes. How can you ever love me after what what I did? What, what I did? 
<laughs> so where do we start? Let's start at the beginning. Yeah, start at the beginning with uh, we are going to Miriam's. What's her last name? Winters? Miriam Willows? Rogers. Rogers. Way off. Miriam Rogers. We're going to her little... She has like a little trailer. Uh, is it out in Fat Trout? It doesn't say, but I'm going to assume that all the trailers are, are near or around or in Fat yeah. Trout Trailer Park. Um, but it, it's a cute little thing. She's got like a little garden around Did you notice it that it's got shack. Christmas decorations? Oh, no. Yeah, there's like candy canes in the little garden. Okay. So I was wondering what time of year it was. Previously, we we'd suggested that this must be early in the year. Um, other dates, the only dates that have shown up suggest that it's October. Yeah, or September. Um, or September. So mm-hmm. it's um, early in the school year. So either she's really early with her Christmas decorations or she, like us, does not take her Christmas decorations down. Yes. We don't keep them lit. I should be very clear on this. <laughs> Our Christmas lights do not stay lit year round. They just yeah. stay plugged in because, we, you know, they're on the balcony and it's hard to take them down and, you know... Just, just so you know, we're not those people. <laughs> we kind of are those people. We kind of are those but people. in any case, uh, Roger, no, Richard Horn. Where am I getting these where names are you? from? I don't know. I, just, I make them up all the time. Uh, <laughs> Richard Horn shows up, uh, and he's obviously there to do some harm to Miriam. Uh, and oddly enough, she she comes right out and says, I already called, told the cops it was you who killed the little boy, and I wrote a letter to them with as much information, right? So she's already kind of divulged all this, this information to the sheriff's department. And basically saying, I have nothing more to threaten you with. Please come in and kill me, which seems like a an odd not, choice. I don't think that's what she's saying. I think <laughs> I think really it's that she just has underestimated, like we all have, the capacity that Richard Horn has for doing harm and great evil. I think that the thing that strikes me about Richard Horn's type of evil, as we see later on in, in the episode, is how unpredictable he is. I don't think she expects that he would come in and attack her. For this okay i knew exactly right away that well, that's what yeah happen. i did and you did as viewers but maybe yes. miriam didn't maybe she's she's a preschool teacher a kindergarten teacher she's a, an early education teacher she probably doesn't think the worst of everyone she comes across you know we she yeah. hasn't seen everything that we've seen of richard you that's, know yeah. although she did see him mow down a kid yes and not stop or slow down or she probably he probably has a reputation at this point i mean he's choking women at the bar he's, sure you know and that made me wonder i wanted to ask what mm-hmm. what the relationship is between yeah. Miriam and, and richard because yeah. they seem like they might be roughly contemporaneous in mm-hmm. age so maybe they're classmates maybe they went to high school together they know each other certainly from being in the same community long enough yeah um but yeah, she doesn't seem to know that he would be capable of what doing does, violence, yeah. which is exactly what happens. So he he charges into her, um, into her trailer, and we don't see what happens, but we hear a few loud bangs and then the sound of her body falling to the floor, the floor yeah. and then we get um, him lighting a candle. Yes, and then uh, he leaves. And the camera comes into her trailer, and you see that he's opened the oven with the candle burning. So clearly, he's hoping to ignite some kind of explosion maybe to cover his tracks but the door to her he, he broke, broke the, door the door to her trailer so that gas isn't going to build up enough to explode yeah yeah it might be enough to knock her out but yeah she's already had a massive it, head wound so she's already gonna die yeah. it doesn't matter i think we are gonna see the trailer explode next episode though but that could just be i me. think it it's he's not it's not going to explode and his fingerprints are going to be there and there it's going to be one more thing that's going to lead them to it could him. be yeah it could that be that, that's the logical thing that quote we're unquote doing. criminal mastermind who can't even you know blow he's, up a trailer properly yeah, like come a, on this is 
Criminal yeah. 101, right? Yeah, he's just a thug, really. So if you uh, in if, between then, though, he does. Uh, sorry, he calls Chad. Yeah. In order to cover his tracks, and says Miriam sent this letter, intercepted. Chad, of course, chads it up, and oh, I don't know. I mean, that's some extra work for me. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> then, uh, but you know, Richard threatens, threatens him some more, and then hangs up and, and drives away. So a few notes that I had about this scene that were really interesting to me is that Richard's car. Yes. It's a great attention to detail that his car is a piece of crap. Yep, is, just like him. You know, <laughs> but it's made up of a bunch of different parts, and mm-hmm. the parts are red, white, and mm-hmm. black. Yeah. So these are all, I mean, key colors, not just for this episode, but for Twin Peaks overall, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, some people pointed out it's the same colors as Diane's nail polish yes, when you first meet her. exactly. Although she does have a turquoise nail, I think. One of her nails is turquoise, but um, maybe only in one scene. Yeah, it's hard I don't know. Um, the other big question that we've we've sent it out to our friend John Bernardi, who will be uh, chiming in at the end of the episode. But um, what what's going on with this investigation into the into the kid? Because Miriam says she's called the cops. She sent them this letter. Why does she have to send a letter in the first place? I mean, wouldn't the call enough? have been enough now she talked to chad which is what i assumed happened you think she called chad well chad yeah chad otherwise andy would have gone to arrest richard not to talk to this farmer guy about his truck well and that's the other thing because we we saw that scene in whatever part six, six or, seven, or seven i think yeah where andy went to the to talk to the farmer who had the truck that richard used yeah um but we we still don't know when that scene took place and andy's watch very clearly shows the date as being the 10th of something. Mm. So if it's the 10th of October, that's a couple of weeks after, potentially after the events that we saw in when, when Richard killed the boy. Yeah. Um, which we're pre- assuming is taking place the day before this or two days, probably only a day before. Yeah. But we really don't know. Again, we don't know. Time I mean, is so murky. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if that's something that we saw out of sequence and it hasn't happened yet, maybe... Um, the investigation into that, the the kid's death, and whatever happened to Miriam at the trailer park is still upcoming. Maybe we haven't seen all of that yet. Yeah. Clearly, whatever Chad and Richard are playing at isn't going to... I mean, it, it leads to something. Yeah. Because we've seen Andy investigating it. Yeah. We just don't know when that happened. I, I guess. I See, the way I interpreted it in a much simpler way, uh, Miriam called in, she got Chad... Chad said, oh, yeah, okay, I've got it all down here. Don't worry about it. Then he calls Richard and says, hey, uh, someone's on you. Go take care of it. And the the reason uh, Andy was talking to the truck owners, because that's all everybody got was just the license plate of the truck as it was driving away, so they just tracked it down there. It so could be, but it doesn't explain the date on Andy's watch. That's all. Well, unless the child was killed just a couple days on that 9th or something like that. Could right? be. Yeah, so it, again, yeah, it is messy, though. Maybe that's still in September. Who knows? This is... Again, a lot of guesstimating. I hope, I hope something triggers, like there's some kind of skeleton key that will unlock the, <laughs> the timeline of events so that we can figure this out. Because I'm yeah, really interested. I, I don't it. have the time or the patience to yeah, put it together to at this point. Yeah. Not that you could at this point, but um, as as it's know. definitely the not something that I'm capable of doing myself. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so we go to... Uh, Fat Trout Trailer Park. I think mm-hmm. this is why we kind of assumed yeah, that it was the it was, same. Yeah, because it cuts right there. Uh, but we get Carl Rod singing the Red River Valley uh, folk song. It's a, It did a little bit of research into it, and it's a, apparently an old Canadian folk song mm-hmm. that's written about the, the Red River Rebellion, which, for those of you who don't know your Canadian history... 
Which is everybody. Which is pretty much everybody, <laughs> even us Canadians. Yeah. The Red River Rebellion was a Métis uprising in the Red River area in, in Manitoba, led by Louis Riel, who uh, basically led the Métis people against the Canadian government in order to separate and form their own nation or their own mm-hmm. um, area anyway. Yeah. Uh, it was... Yeah. Shot down, Very basically. Harshly, <laughs> Louis Riel was executed. It, it's a big moment in, in Métis history, but also in Western Canadian history as, mm-hmm. uh, as well. And um, so those of us who grew up on the prairies, we know all about the Red River Rebellion. We know all about Louis Riel. And um, I actually went to school with somebody who was descended, a descendant. Oh, really? Of, yeah, Louis Riel. And huh. anyway. Interesting. Um, but the Red River Valley song... Uh, it's it was popular popularly recorded as a cowboy folk song, mm-hmm. but the the um, folklorist Edith Folk, who is a Canadian folklorist, she uh, has found evidence that this was known in the prairies as far back as the 1870s. And one of the things that that comes up is the word adieu, which is not something you'd probably hear in a cowboy folk song, but you would definitely hear on a French Canadian Métis, Métis settlement. settlement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a beautiful song. It really is gorgeous. And it's sung by Carl Rod very, like, it's a lovely mm. moment to see him strumming his guitar on his on his driveway with a, you know, a cooler of, I'm going to guess it's beer in yeah, there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's red, which is interesting. Yeah, we, and there's, uh, there's a lot of red in this episode. And it? it actually reminded me of the scene in Pretty in Pink where he's sitting on, uh, on his driveway yes, talking yes. to uh, Ducky. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> That's um, great. Yeah, I had not connected those two. But the song, the song is about a woman who who has let her lover go, and she's pining for him to return. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of makes you sad when you think about Carl Rod. Maybe we don't know anything about him, but he seems like he's a guy who has he been married? Did he lose his wife? Is there some other depth to the story there? I'm guessing that the song isn't just. Us, they, they picked it for a reason, and it could mm. just be because it's called the Red River Valley Song. Why would that be important? Well, because red is a co- is oh, an important okay. color. Sure, okay. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Too, but um, but in any in any case, uh, the song is abruptly interrupted right before he gets to the end of the chorus by a red a, coffee a cup, red coffee cup, hucked through a window mm-hmm. of the trailer across the street, which is yeah. the only piece of information that Mark Frost let slip before the series aired. Yes, you were saying that. I didn't remember this, but... Yeah, he said at one point you will see a coffee cup come flying through a window, and people were speculating what that could possibly mean, and here we've seen it. What did it mean, and what, uh, what was it, the, the it, origin of the coffee cup? It is Becky and Stephen uh, Burnett. Burnett. Yes, they are uh, fighting in their trailer, mm. and this is Amanda Seyfried and that guy, whose name of course I will not remember at this point, um, but they're, he's either coming down off a high or still in the middle of it. Um, but he's basically abusing her and he's basically recreating the Leo and Shelley yeah. 2.0, uh, which is again, very sad, very generationally, you know, depressing to yeah. think that, uh, Becky has just followed her mother mm-hmm. exactly down the same rabbit hole, except for this time, uh, he's a drug addict instead of a drug dealer. Right. Um, and he's really not with it. I mean, he's just ranting and raving about money and it's a very brief scene, but it doesn't really add much except for to say that, yes, he is also abusive as, as well as being just, you know, a fairly terrible human being in the, yeah. the initial scene where we saw Well, him. we kind of thought maybe they were they were troubled, but they loved each other in that in the scene in the car. Yeah. Because you didn't really get the sense that that. Yeah. That it was angry or there was like any kind of domestic violence going on. It was just maybe well, maybe Shelly was upset yeah. that her 
No, I think Shelly knew. was a drug addict or yeah, something. Yeah, but I think Shelly knew. Well, clearly. I'm sure yeah. she does know, and now yeah. we know. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting, too, that everybody was speculating that, that Becky would be Laura version 2.0. Yeah. But I'm getting way more Shelly version oh, 2.0. Yeah. Like that, yeah. And that fits in with the whole thing that, you know, children do what their parents, parents did, yeah. did yeah. Um, which we got a lot of in The Secret History of Twin Peaks. And She's not... Yeah, she's not a Laura Palmer. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. It, she is. Yeah, she is really filling in that that generational gap that um, that we expected from yeah Secret History, especially. So I, I wondered what uh, he was. They're fighting about money, but when yeah. she threatens him, well, she doesn't threaten. Well, she, she kind pushes of. Back she, yeah, she pushes bit. back, but that's, that's that he that's construes that as a threat, and then he goes to hit her and says. I know what you did. I yeah. know exactly what you did. So clearly, he sa- whatever he says, you know what you did to her. Oh, I heard him say, "I know what you did." Okay. Well, either way, either what way, did yeah. she do? What is that? Um, is it nothing? It probably nothing in his just drug adult mind. Right? It could That's be the way it I interpret be. it. But yeah, it could be something. Um, but she it, maybe stole some money or something, or didn't pay him. You know. It's well, just, I've seen yeah. I've seen some speculation as well that maybe she killed her father. Maybe maybe Leo's her dad, and she killed her dad. I don't know. What? I'm just saying. That's, okay, okay. It could be. It's way out of left field. Nothing. Nothing can. Not, nothing can be unexpected in Twin Peaks. Nothing so, at all. Uh, let's go with that. But it does throw like what you said. He's he's either on a high or coming down off of a high. I'm not entirely sure he's aware of what he's doing, and yes. that that does. It doesn't. It it's a mitigating factor, but it doesn't change the fact that yeah. that he is still violent towards her. Yes, right? absolutely. I I kind of wanted to you know draw a contrast between him and Richard because Richard, even when he's not high, he's a complete asshole and, and right. evil. Like he right. is an evil person. Whereas, uh, what's Stephen? Stephen just seems like he's yeah he's just not in control of himself. Right. Um, and he seems like someone who just needs some help. Like if he could just kick the drugs he might be a decent human being he might even be able to get that that salesman job with uh the car dealership if, if he really tried and, and applied himself as as grandparents from the 1930s would say uh but yeah i mean and it's it is an interesting uh comparison because they're both they were kind of introduced around the same time mm-hmm. uh they're both young men probably grew up together or know mm-hmm. each other um, but here, one is a user and one is the enabler, mm-hmm. and I think that's a, a clear distinction. That that Richard's definitely evil. Stephen maybe a little too too early to tell. But what do you mean that Richard's an enabler? Yeah, he's the drug dealer. He enables oh, this, other, this other evil to happen. Right, right, but right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to even draw a further contrast between. Stephen and Leo, mm-hmm. because Leo, for all of, like, he never seemed to be. We saw in Firewalk with me that he did do drugs, but we mm-hmm. didn't see that in the series when yeah. he was at his most evil. Yeah, um, he seemed to be always in control of himself and of his faculties, and uh, even when he was out of control, there was still a constraint or something to it. I don't know. It yeah, it, it seems bit. like it's just very different from the way that Stephen is unpredictable but unpredictable in a way that's different from Richard Horn's unpredictability yes, right yes yeah yeah which no, no, i think is point. is yeah. the difference why i'm not i'm not afraid of Stephen, but i'm deathly terrified of richard oh, because yeah, well, there's a yeah. difference in the way that they yes, operate they operate definitely yeah. yeah yeah although i also want to punch Stephen in the face but that's that's just neither here nor there uh so we go to uh the mitchum mitchum the <laughs> What? You know I can't say names. You know how pissed off people are going to be if they keep hearing you mess up every name that comes across? Just let me do the introductions to each scene, okay? thank you. Go ahead. So we go to Las Vegas, 
and we get the Mitchums in their house. That's what I said. Can I do it again? <laughs> no, go so, on. So we go to Las Vegas and we get the Mitchums in their home. We see Rodney Mitchum going over his casino checklist. I don't know what it's, it's a surveillance up. log. Yeah, yeah. okay, he's there just, you go. He's like, yeah, this happened. Yeah. And Candy comes in with a red bandana. She's mm-hmm. dressed in. It's funny that they're always wearing the same pink outfit. It's like mm, I don't know. Funny is the right word. No, it's, well, okay. it's interesting. It's, it is. It's yeah. just that like they're not. They're, you would expect it at their job, but they're at home and they're still dressed. Yeah. In the the outfit. But yeah, anyway. I, okay. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say we can talk about, I think they're still on the job. I think they're just, they may be prostitutes or something that they just keep around all the time. I, I don't know what they actually do there, but the fact that they're in costume all the time is really kind of dehumanizing. It's like you're wearing a uniform, you are working all well, the it's time. Like, it's like house. Playboy bunnies. Exactly. And that's not exactly a positive. But I'm anyways, not saying yeah. it's a positive. No, no, but it is worth noting. Anyways, go on. Sorry. Uh, so we see Candy come in, and she's got this red bandana, and she's searching the room. We hear the, a fly buzzing, and she spends a good portion of the scene, um, almost cat-like. It's it's what it reminded yeah. me of is, is of when our cats at home or any cat sees a, a bug, and their eyes go wide, and they're just so hyper focused on finding this bug, and um, and when she finally does, she throws the bandana. She's trying to catch it, and then when she finally does get it, she picks up a remote control and it lands on Rodney Mitchum's face, and she whacks him with the remote control and kills the bug, but also injures Rodney. And it's almost like she doesn't even know. Like you wouldn't, anybody with half a brain is going to be able to figure out that you're not, you're going to hurt someone if you hit them with a remote control. But it's like that's the first thing on her mind is killing the bug. Mm-hmm. It's not that she might hurt Rodney. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it gives such a like we get so much of candy in such a few brief scenes in this episode. I like Dougie. You have to wonder like what's wrong with her. Yeah. Like, well, how does she? How does how she does function? She, yeah. It's so true. Um, and it, I love the pacing of this scene because mm-hmm. you can see it coming a mile away. You oh, know yeah. if she's gonna hit him, but when she picks up the remote, you're like, okay, yes, it's gonna be great. But then and she puts the remote down. So the first time she does it, she picks it up and then she sets it back down again. So you're like, oh, she's not going to hit him with remote control. But then that's exactly what she does. I didn't notice that. Yeah, we both laughed so hard when that happened. I can't believe you forgot that. Okay, yeah, it was early in the morning. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and then afterwards, you know, it's just this great comedic explosion of like, oh my gosh, she's screaming, she's crying. Bradley Uh, uh, Mitchum comes in to tend to his brother and he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. fine." I just leave it alone. Is there blood? And then she like really freaks out at the mention of blood and she sees him. Uh, it's just hilarious. Um, yeah, and then she jumps into like hug him, and they're like, "Get off of them!" Yeah. <laughs> it just it just controlled chaos in this really ridiculous scene. Like yeah. it is, it is really just an introduction for Candy. I feel like there's there's no other purpose to it well, except it, to give it, him a mark for the next scene. But I also think it 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 this episode does a really good job of fleshing out the Mitchum brothers characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, True enough. Yeah. Which. Again, very masterfully upsets the the expectation that we had yeah, of gangsters yeah. in general, but well, also these, like two these two yeah. specifically. Because um, they're not, they don't seem that evil. No, they're not as bad as you would expect them to yes. be. They're not like Goodfellas evil. Yeah. Or maybe they are, uh, but yeah. they're human too, yeah. which we'll get to. Yeah. But yeah. No, it's um, true. So the next scene we get is Dr. Ben. Finally, Janie is taking Dougie to see their doctor. And so he's impressed with the amount of weight that yeah. that Dougie okay, so has lost. First off, they remove uh, Dougie's shirt, and yeah. how does he look, Lindsay? 
He looks fit. He looks pretty fit. He looks pretty fit. Yeah. For uh, he, I was gonna is... say. I was gonna say that that the doctor is impressed, and so is Janie. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> Usually impressed. Uh, but yeah, sorry. How old is uh, Kyle McLaughlin? He's fifty-eight or something. I think so. Looks really good for fifty-eight. Yeah. Like, no, and he absolutely. was he was talking about this in the before the series launched, saying like, yeah, you know, every time if you want to keep getting those roles as, as an aging actor, you gotta you gotta go the extra mile and, and like stay you know, fit, stay get fit. In shape. And, yeah, exactly. And here it finally shows off because everything else we've seen of him so far has been like Dabakoop and like the terrible makeup right. or the terrible tan and everything, and then uh, Dougie original version uh, in like a fat suit almost. So right here he finally it pays off, not just for Dougie but for Janie. So and and the doctor, like I said, is very impressed with this and impressed with his vitals and everything too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like like Janie no- noticed that he lost weight, but she hadn't seen him shirtless. Yeah. It, it really like Which is odd, the state she's been of their him. marriage yeah. is, is called into question. I think too that she's just not been observant enough, and then all of a sudden here she's she takes a step back and she's like, "How much weight has he lost? Yeah. Like he has lost a lot of weight in a good way." She says, oh, "I don't." know if there's a, a bad way for somebody who's <laughs> medically necessary yeah. for them to lose weight for them to lose weight in a bad way i don't know i don't know what she means by that but anyway um but it, it's interesting uh so yeah dougie kind of like you know he wants to check the stethoscope and oh and of course when the uh blood pressure monitor's on he, he makes the sound well, i thought he was making like a whooshing sound <laughs> he was like copying he was blowing breath out like yeah yeah, he yeah, was, yeah but he, it's he was making the intense ethereal whooshing <laughs> sound that's where the the soundtrack got it sure, from sure. was the scene um uh but then you know at the end uh the doctor's like oh it's quite remarkable and then all of a sudden Janie is <laughs> yeah. the dougie of the scene she just repeats it yeah oh, remarkable you yeah know? and that that's that was great for me um and yeah again it's a funny scene you get Janie's other side you know we ha- we've really just seen her as you know this take charge woman yeah. yes and here she has like a you know she has she has the thirst coming out she mm. she has the thrill in her that uh, we get more of yeah. <laughs> as we go through. Um, so I like how the previous scene with in the Mitchum's house and then this scene with the doctor set up the next two scenes that mm-hmm. come afterwards. So we get the the a payoff for the Mitchum brothers, I guess, here with Mandy, Candy, and Sandy are all in the room with both Mitchum brothers, and they're tending to uh, drinks, getting drinks ready. Mm-hmm. Candy is inconsolable still. It's nighttime now, so it's a, a yeah, long time has passed. Later. She's still crying. And the brothers are both kind of, well, at least Rodney is like, I'm fine. Like, look, it's fine. Yeah. And Candy just can't believe that she did what she did. And um, it, again, just kind of goes a long way towards humanizing these characters, which mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect. You, you definitely wouldn't expect mobsters to be humanized in this way yeah it's like the way the sopranos did it you know but but with that extra yeah layer of yeah lynch yeah exactly yeah um overplaying over all of this is the the tv in the background and when they finally click on the the sound the sound thank you (laughs) um (laughs) they get the news report that people have been speculating for a long time that somebody was going to see dougie on the news and it happens to be rodney and bradley mitchum so first they find out that Ike the Spike has been arrested. So they're they're very excited that they can call off the hit on Ike. They can save a few bucks. They nice, the right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's 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 like they're just they're human guys, right? They're just guys. They want to save a few bucks, right? Now they don't I have guess. to they don't have to call the hit on on Ike. Ike. Yeah. They can call it off. It's all good. <laughs> Meanwhile, they find out that Mr. Jones is 
they are yes. Mr. Jones. And can I just say the the way they they find out about the news with this this news team anchor mm-hmm. that hit a button to decide what news they cover? I can't tell if that's real or not, but it's it feels it's like hilarious. something that's very Las Vegas. Yes, like if exactly. you've ever been to Las Vegas, if you've ever watched news or TV, everything's and, rolling the dice. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 like the whole town is themed around yeah. casinos. Yeah. So it, it does make a certain amount of oh yeah no I Vegas loved it. Sense. I was just like that is awesome. That would be something. Yes, I don't know if that might be real. I don't know. They might have literally gotten some Las Vegas news anchors and just well I think they did I think well oh. they might not be Las Vegas news anchors <laughs> okay. but they did get news anchors to, oh, okay. to awesome. fill in I think at least the the guy there yeah is an actual news anchor not that's, an actor that's wicked um <laughs> but if anybody from Las Vegas has any you know information mm-hmm. they'd like to share with us YouTube clips or whatever we will yeah, we'll retweet it. it it'd yeah. be great to see how the news is delivered in Las Vegas if yeah. it is this campy but uh but then uh, it, it, the scene ends with with some more crying from Candy, yeah. and the guys are just like, "What's going on?" Like again, it's just they 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 have everyday problems. Mobsters, they're just like us. Well, yeah. They got to deal with crazy women problems, <laughs> just yeah. like all the husbands in America. Uh, right, it's Aiden? true. I mean, this is that's why I feel like that's why they cast Jim Belushi because he plays the, the everyday every American. You know, house husband, <laughs> as well as anybody, uh, and yes, here he has to deal with an inconsolable candy. Robert um, Nepper a little bit less. He he does a really good job. He does, of, yeah, you know, and that's <laughs> playing like, against type. Yeah, and for that's him. so these three characters that are in the the Mitchum household. I would say, uh, I I love Robert Nepper and uh, Amy Shields as Candy. I don't. I still don't know how I feel about no? Jim Belushi. There was some really, you know, he delivered some good lines, but you know, the air bump was just a little too forced. A little too a little, according to Jim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like there's still. But I'm I still aware I'm watching Jim Belushi when I watch him. It's it's like how I'm aware I'm watching um, Tammy. It's not Tammy. It is Krista Bell when I'm right, watching right, Tammy right. still, and I, I still feel like that's. But I feel that. like it works still. I feel like that still has a certain amount of. Yeah. No, it's something true. Something that works he, about it. Exactly. He was cast for the reason yeah, yeah. that you're gonna. No, you're watching Jim Belushi right. a little bit. Just right. like, you know, uh, Christabel, you know, for now, Tammy is still Christabel as Tammy Preston, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's still on, on purpose. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm fine with it. It was just worth noting. Um, so we go back from there to the yeah. other scene you mentioned. Yeah. So uh, the payoff for the, the doctor's scene. Yes. We get the the Jones household yes. that get, evening. Yes. We get the red door first, mm-hmm. followed by a shot of Jeannie in her red Heels. Yes. They're not heels. They're, they're just not flats. heels. Yeah, that's right. They're flats. But they are bright red. Mm-hmm. And they are toe tapping. They uh-huh. are. They are ready to go. Like you said, Janie's a little thirsty. Yep. <laughs> and he, Dougie, is eating a piece of cake. Yeah. As Janie begins questioning him about, you know, do you find me attractive? Mm-hmm. I think you're very attractive. <laughs> kind of, kind of stuff. Um, and you know, Dougie has no response. Of course, he just keeps eating his cake. Yeah. Uh, and then. It's a hard cut right to the middle of the sex scene. Yeah. Which was funny on its own. Um, and yeah, she's screaming his name. That's really, she's on top. She's just screaming his name. And Dougie's uh, physical actions are great because his arms are just bouncing in time with it. Um, it and it reminded me right away, it seemed like an uh, inadvertent callback to uh, the other famous comic Lachlan sex scenes, uh-huh. Showgirls, yes. which also featured some flapping. Um, <laughs> flopping, more <laughs> flopping, flopping. More flopping, yes. Water flopping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, don't don't Google that one. Don't No, definitely that. Google that one. Duh, yeah. Do it. <laughs> Just do it. But the scene is 
awkward for a couple reasons. First of all, she's screaming his name so loud that she wakes up Sunny Jim and yeah. he we get him sitting up in bed and he's he's a little scared, a little mm. unsure what's happening. Uh, you made the comment, which was hilarious, that he's probably never heard his parents have sex. Because yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't imagine that, that, that uh, Dougie and Janie have been intimate too often. No. Um, I don't know how old Sonny Jim is, but he seems like 11, 12. Yeah. Uh, it would be the kind of thing that would scar a child at that age. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't seem to really know what's happening. No, no. But then again, it's just one brief scene yeah. with him. It's true. Uh, I did find this scene a little bit disturbing. Yeah. Um, I know it was played for it, it seemed to be played for laughs a yeah, little bit yeah and and Dougie Dougie Coop we should not call him Dougie you're calling him at Dougie this point, at this point he's Dougie he's, for me he's, he's not he's so he's, not Cooper but yes you're okay right. but Dougie he Coop. is Cooper he's absolutely Cooper yes you're right um, he's just in a reduced capacity State. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah he smiles when it's all over but I feel like it's like here's here's a character who's really just driven by base desires. Like mm-hmm. he he eats and he drinks coffee. Um, there he urinates. likes the clapper. Yeah, yeah he urinates. Um, his base physical desires and needs are the only thing. He's like pure it, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is a character who is really incapable of consenting to oh, have yeah. sex. Oh yeah. It's- Definitely not. <laughs> but on the same level, I'm not really sure that I can fault Janie for... Like, she thinks this is her husband. Obviously, there's not... Nothing is that drastically different about Dougie Coop from who Dougie was. Well, and, That she would yeah. suspect that it's not her husband. Well, so maybe oh yeah, this sure. is just how sex is. But then on the other hand, I'm not sure they have a lot of sex either. Like, yeah. this is maybe the first time that she's feeling sexual attraction to her husband or the first time in a long time anyway and it it reinvigorates her as we see in in an upcoming scene that i mean in a way she's almost kind of like the guy with the green tea latte that Mm -hmm. that being in dougie coop's presence kind of makes people happy in a way yeah like that guy wouldn't have had a green tea latte if cooper hadn't stolen his coffee Janie wouldn't have had this reaction if Cooper hadn't replaced Dougie, right? Yeah. So I feel like, yes, we're going to see this. This isn't going to end well, right? Like, I mean, obviously Cooper yeah. is going to regain himself and leave. He's he's probably not going to stay married to Janie, and she might not want to stay married to him. So obviously this quote-unquote domestic bliss that they've suddenly fallen into isn't going to stick around. Mm-hmm. But I feel like... Whatever Dougie Coop is doing to the people around him, the effect it's going to have on Janie is it's going to allow her to maybe be a happier person who doesn't need a husband, who can raise Sunny Jim on her own, who can be a happier person in general just by having known Dougie Coop. The same way that the guy who had the green tea latte yeah. maybe has, has, you know, his eyes open to the world of green tea <laughs> lattes latte, now exactly. or whatever. Yeah. Um, I still think it's a little bit weird, and we can contrast it with um, the implications that came out of Richard's scene as well mm-hmm. when we get there. Yeah. But um, but it does seem to raise some some questions. Oh, absolutely, for, yeah. for me. Yeah, and I, I I thought it was interesting because you know Dougie is basically a child. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really kind of the metaphor I've been working with. Is that is that he's entering this world having no understanding of it, and like he's, a baby. And, yeah, like a baby. Yeah, he's, and been he's being rebirthed. Exactly, and he's being reintroduced to. Uh, the realities of life, part of which is love and and sex and, and human relationships of that level. And 
so here he's he's relearning it and it's it's you know for the most part Dougie's reintroductions have been fairly positive you know Jade has looked out for him um Janie's looked out for him non-stop um and now here he I mean yes he can't consent so by definition it's it's not a it's not a good good move on Janie's part but he does seem to enjoy it he uh Afterwards, he has that he has that ridiculous smile on his face, just like after he has coffee for the first mm-hmm. time. You know, everything is there that uh, he's learned another positive thing. You know, the world around yeah. Dougie is also a positive place. Uh, everyone's looking out for Dougie, um, and the people who right. don't get dealt with pretty quick, right. you know, as per Ike the Spike. Right. So, yeah, I think I think it's just worth noting that um, it's kind of a sweet moment almost. You know, that she's kind of reintroduced him to to the world of Physical, uh, love. physical love yeah mm-hmm. and and he's he's happy with it he was he was smiling and he was holding her and she says i love you and he, he responds says, i love you you know or love you anyway yeah, yeah yeah he doesn't know what it means probably but he has an idea now this is what love is this is part of what love is, is it's holding true. someone close yeah. and and having that physical connection so i think it's it's kind of sweet that way mm-hmm. um yes questions of consent aside really because i think those are pretty troubling um, but it, but they're not the, the focus for me. Like no. I, I did feel that when I first watched it, and it was one of the things that made me un- uneasy before I went to bed after watching the episode yeah. last night. Um, <laughs> this it was one of the last things I said to you before I fell asleep. Yeah, yeah, I'm that's like, right, yeah. Do you think that was a little? And then <laughs> zonked out. Um, but yeah, it it you're right. I think that in the end, all of these experiences that that Dougie Coop is having are going to help Cooper reintegrate into society again because he doesn't quite know what any of this means Mm -hmm. and to drop him back into the world without having those base Mm -hmm. experiences that every child would have Mm -hmm. not (laughs) little babies have physical like they feel physically um they're they're touched they're coddled this is this is what um in the the context of this situation yes yes, this is what what is happening is he's being coddled and he's being shown how affection works i think that's a great point so uh we go back to twin peaks back in the forest yes uh and we get dr jacoby the fucks are at it again the fucks are at it again um, and this one, I, I, you know, I've stopped listening just like every two note Alex Jones do. Once you've heard one, you've heard them all. But um, again, we do get Nadine listening in yes. and watching on the yep. podcast or the video cast, the vlog. Um, she has maybe a red skirt on, I thought, maybe. Just maybe. Another, I, I did um, notice that, that Jacoby is wearing a red mm-hmm. coat. Yep. Um, um, it looks almost like it's the same yeah. scene. Like they filmed, they probably filmed all these oh, scenes, yeah. back you to know, back, back to back yeah. to back. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but still. And she has like a pilk. Uh, pink milkshake as well. There's yeah, a pink there's a couple scene. of pink pink milkshakes that made me think mm-hmm. of um, the end of last episode with uh, Sky Ferrer's character. Yeah, who said she she's now working across the street yeah. at a different diner, flipping burgers. I'm yeah. like, maybe that's the place where everybody gets their pink milkshakes from. <laughs> Could be. Um, but yeah, she's drinking from this pink milkshake, which uh, and watching this. From, presumably, the office of her store. Yes. Which is Run Silent, Run Drapes, uh, which is just so happy. And it's, uh, you know, there are drapes going back and forth silently. in the window. And silently. But, but the only thing in the window is a golden shovel. Like, she's totally bought into this. It's so great. I just, I really love that that this is her character. Yes, and this is where she wound up. She got the She got the patent. She got the patent. She's done it. She is she's, a successful businesswoman. Absolutely. And now she's going to spend all of her hard-earned money on golden and shovels. Golden shovels. To, Shovel uh, that shit. Shovel the shit. Yeah. And at the end, she says, he's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because it's not, it's so beautiful or he's so right. She's commenting so on beautiful. him. 
Um, which is interesting because that makes me wonder, you know, we haven't seen Ed yet. That's one of the characters that even after this episode, we still have not seen any yep. big Ed. Um, are they still together? Maybe not. Oh, see, so you're thinking she's like attracted to Jacoby? In a way, I think I think it's I think it's interesting if if she was attracted to his ideas and his thoughts and his words, she would do something besides he is so beautiful. Ah, see, I read that as like he's like a beautiful soul. Uh, yeah, and, okay. And then and okay. he's so bright, he's so beautiful. Like I, I feel like they're not um, mutually exclusive. No, like, it's true. I feel like like that's maybe what she's referencing. No, it, it, but she does I, have that glow on her face. Like yeah. maybe she is kind of attracted. But I don't know. I I didn't yeah. necessarily read it that way. What I did find interesting was that. Um, what Dr. Amp is talking about, the, the gist of his conversation is, is again, that the government has their hands in everything. And at one point he mentions, like, the, they, the pharmaceutical companies own this and that. And they, they won't eat the food that we give our kids because if they did, they'd die. And then they'd blow it up like a big red fucking balloon is yeah, what he says. Yeah. And red balloons have been shown a lot in this episode. There were red balloons with... Um, the kid, the 119 kid, red balloons at Sunny Jim's birthday party, red balloons outside um, Dougie's office, office, the office tower. Um, there have just been so many references to red balloons. So then yeah. to have to have Jacoby mentioning them in this horrible, grotesque, bloating up like a red balloon. Yeah. like yeah, it, it's quite it, an image. Yeah. <laughs> it's not children's birthday parties. Yeah. This is like death at its most horrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or not even death, like decay. And mm. so, I mean, that that was interesting to me. We didn't see any red balloons that I saw in this episode, but nope. we did get one big reference to them, which was kind of gross. So just something to note. Back at the Jones house the next morning, Janie and Dougie and Sunny Jim are leaving the house in the morning. Janie pulls Dougie Coop aside and says she thought last night was wonderful. She can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. She got the big post-coital grin on her face. Yes. Um, and she then, kisses Dougie Coop and yeah, then and he says wonderful too. Mm-hmm. Like um again, just parodying everything that he that he hears. And uh yeah, it just it just really did cement it's such a different, such a contrast from the last morning scene we saw with them where she's rushing him out the door and she's mm-hmm. like, Can't believe what's going on here. She's like leaning against the wall and she's got this coy look on her face and she's happy and Mm. i just feel like that's the change that we're supposed to notice is that this is this is bettering everybody hopefully maybe not sunny jim poor sunny jim i don't i don't know where where he stands on this whole thing does he even know what that would be for his parents Uh, yeah i I really have no idea (laughs) their whole relationship is still a mystery (laughs) um so we go back again actually to twin peaks again Mm -hmm. quickly to the forest and we see jerry once again holding up his phone and it says no service um but he he gets mad and he's like you can't fool me i've been here before um, and then he kind of after he gives his line he kind of like recoils in and it's almost like he's in pain or mm. anger or something it's really hard to tell but um we had a quick discussion because this is actually one of the more interesting stories like what is going on with jerry yeah. horn yeah um is he actually in twin peaks or has he gone to another place well that's what made me think you know he's holding up his phone he's trying to find cell phone reception he clearly recognizes the place where he is it's the forest mm-hmm. he's been to the forest before i think he lives out or goes out to the forest that's where his farm is or whatever Probably, right yeah. so for him to say i've been here before but he can't get cell phone reception um that made me think that that maybe he has slipped between worlds and maybe he's in an alternate Twin Peaks. And it, and it brought back something 
from like I know you you were watching the clip again of Jerry and his foot from mm-hmm. last episode I from part nine. Um, his foot tells him, "I am not your foot," and we all laughed at that and we thought, "Well, what is this? This is a drug trip." He's of yeah, course or it's is his it foot, not? right? Yeah, we didn't know. Is it not his foot? Maybe this is he's maybe he's this is his doppelganger. Maybe there's something going on. It's not actually Jerry's foot. It's Jerry's mm. doppelganger's foot. Maybe there's, it's not his foot because it, he's not in the right place. Um, his consciousness has switched places or something. Maybe that's some way of him tapping into that. The drugs are, are the gateway for him. And this, and, and whether he's on drugs or not, he's able to, to get that information from it sounds a lot like the evolution of the arm. That's what you were doing, Aiden, was, was yeah, playing the it, scene with Squeeze's hand off. Yeah, it doesn't actually... The voices aren't the same. The voices aren't the same, but it but is But they have very, that same kind of tone to yeah, them almost, yeah, right? Yeah, So it did, it did make us wonder about that. And also in relation to the secret history of Twin Peaks and Dr. Jacoby's um, experiences yes. with ayahuasca... And how he was... Worlds, yeah, yeah, he seemed to be able to go in between worlds when he used drugs. So it made me think... I don't know if you had the same uh, thought process, but that the drugs are, are again, what is... Yeah, no, it's what we talked about last week, that perhaps he's just high, perhaps the drugs are the gateway, Mm -hmm. perhaps something else is the gateway and he just thinks he's high. We don't know. Uh, But, it, yeah, it is really interesting. What's going to happen? Because previously he talked to Jerry when he was in this state. um, Or to Ben, sorry. Yeah. Uh, So now... You know, he can't even get in touch with Ben. Has right. he moved further away? Is there something right. else going on here? Um, it's really hard to tell. So, Or has he only just flipped back into this other world? Is he constantly going back and forth between these two worlds? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think this is, these are throwaway scenes. I don't think these are just comic yeah, moments. Yeah, I mean, it's, they could be. I mean, it, it wouldn't be beyond Lynch. I mean, we all thought the gold shovel was going to be super important and have everything to do with Laura or something, and no, it's just Dr. Yes. Toby. Yeah, exactly. So far, right? Perhaps it will just all be for last. Maybe yeah. Jerry will show up at, you know, part 17 and Ben will be like, you were really high. You were gone for 10 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, like and that, right, that's right, it, right? right? So it's hard to tell um, at this point. But we'll, we'll keep an eye on it for sure. I do think that the drugs are going to play a, a more important role than even in, like, in Fire Walk With Me and in the original series, drugs were just a symptom of the, the rot in the town. But here it seems like the drugs are definitely heavily related to what's happening in the supernatural mm-hmm. um, between Richard and Red. Um, and then obviously whatever's happening with Jerry it makes me wonder about Chad. And we see Chad in the very next scene. So yeah. I think that that link is just even further yep. uh, linked. Cemented, yep. <laughs> Cemented, there we go. Yep. Um, because I, even though whatever Chad is doing in this scene is not directly related to the drug dealing, it is related to Richard. Yep. So we see Chad, He he's in... Um, walks into the reception area of the sheriff's department and starts chatting up Lucy. Yeah, very, you know, shoot the breeze, uh, kind of small talk in a way, you know, it's a beautiful day outside. But really, he's not interested in anything that, that Lucy has to say. He's just waiting for the mail truck so that he can do what Richard asked him to do, which is intercept this letter from Miriam. So he does this, and it's unclear whether Lucy sees him actually remove the letter and put it in his shirt. Yeah, but I think it doesn't matter. I think what's yeah. important is that this is more of the Lucy that we got in the pilot right. way back when. You know, the one who, she plays the dumb blonde, but she has like this investigative spirit to her too yeah. uh, when she was typing down what Bobby and, and Mike were saying yeah. uh, back in the pilot. And here she she rolls over and examines, and she watches him. Yeah. Yes, perhaps she sees him shove it in, perhaps not. 
But she's um, suspicious but she's, enough. She's suspicious I think that's maybe that's where the investigation is going to pick up mm-hmm. is because Lucy has seen something or she suspects him. Yeah, and um, she just you know maybe slips a word to Andy or someone else, and, yeah. and we get something happening there. But I don't feel like this is the end of that letter. I think that's gonna no, absolutely not. And and that's a great point about Lucy, a call, the callback to the pilot, because a lot of people have been really upset about. The portrayal of Lucy and Andy mm-hmm. in this. Well, yeah, I, this yeah, I don't like it. You yeah, know? it feels like, like they're just throwaway afterthoughts yeah. who are played for purely comedic effect. And I think that but that's, beyond believability. Yeah, you know? like in the original, they were they were still believable characters who had funny things. Andy would cry, and Lucy was a bit, Ditzy you know, scatterbrained. Or, yeah, but uh, but here it's been pushed to that extreme. Yeah. in a way that made us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It made a lot of people uncomfortable. But I think what we're seeing now is that maybe that's an, a kind of a red herring. That we're we're going to see them thrust into much greater importance mm-hmm. as the story goes on, and maybe as it gets closer to, you know, an original Twin Peaks kind of supernatural mystery, and as that starts to envelop the town a little bit more, I think we'll we'll see more of that. I hope so, anyway, because that was a great a great callback. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Richard gets a text from Chad, presumably saying that it's been done. Yeah. He's so got the letter, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we follow Richard. Yes. To uh, his grandmother's place. This is a horrible scene. This is a really rough scene. It's really. And it's awful. really unsettling. Like, yeah. It's the violence is one thing. He doesn't hurt anybody really badly. It's it's the threat that it's there. Yeah. And the fact that he was the that he goes to such pure extreme rage at his own grandmother mm-hmm. so quickly is mm-hmm. is really what's unsettling about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a woman who you know you have a quarter of her genes yeah. and yet you're treating her like such shit. Um, it's really, really disturbing. Well, I think and that that goes to the that whole thing about his unpredictability and, and see, I don't, I don't find him unpredictable at all. I think as soon as he sees any sort of obstacle, uh, any sort of female opposition of any kind or any inter- interaction of any kind, his thing is pure threat and right. pure rage and anger. Um, and I think it's contrasted with him versus Red, which is sure. a male of force that he, you know, felt intimidated by. But Chad, he can put in his place. Like, yeah, Chad. I know, I know. I'm just saying it's not. It's not just that him versus men. He like respects men and doesn't respect yeah, women. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. there's a hierarchy. That's true. And women are at the bottom, mm-hmm. and men fall in, in yeah. some. Yes, yes, and men fall in some. You know, yeah. category. Obviously, he doesn't. He's not threatened at all by Johnny. Mm-hmm. Johnny is sitting there in the scene. Um, well, yeah, but he's let, not threatened at all. Let's talk about how the scene is set. Sure. It's really like even just the the layout of the scene and and how it's set up is really it, it adds to the unease. To, unease, exactly. Um, so we get the shot of it's a teddy bear without a head. And well, it has a head. Well, it has a glass a dome that's been uh, retrofitted, retrofitted onto, onto the head, and there's a light inside. Uh, there's I, eyes drawn onto the eyes dome, drawn on, and, and then, then like a snout that yeah. looks like it has fur on. No, it. I think it's the fur inside the bear on the oh. bear's neck that you're seeing through Maybe. the through the mouth. I don't know. I it's don't know. very disturbing. It is very disturbing. And very lynching. It looks like yeah, it looks like a lynch doodle that yeah. someone brought to life. Yeah. Um, in fact, that very well might be what it is. <laughs> um, and it's just it's got this light that goes on and says, "How are you today, Johnny?" Yeah. And it just says that, and I think uh, someone said online said it might have been a Teddy Ruxpin doll it does look a lot like a teddy rexman doll and i think if, even if they couldn't use the teddy yeah. Ruxman, uh franchise they had to uh that's what they were going for i think it's but the fact that this doll is sat on the table in front of johnny who is kind of restrained in his chair probably yeah. more we than figured, yeah like he he's completely immobilized yeah. and it, we, we both suggested in our conversation before we started recording that it's probably because he's a threat to himself 
Um, we saw him in the last episode fling himself into a wall. Um, we never saw him physically restrained in the original series, although we did see him banging his head against the dollhouse. It, it was never to the point where maybe people were afraid that he would hurt himself. So it made me question if maybe the violence is escalating and if there's a reason for that. I know Aiden rolled his eyes when I said that this morning at breakfast, but yeah. I, think, um, I think that's overthinking it a little it bit. It might but be, yeah. but, but I do feel like, like Johnny and with Lynch's portrayal of, you know, mental disability and the way that, that, you know, Nadine and other characters who had mental instability issues were tapped into kind of that supernatural mm-hmm. undercurrent yeah. um, it made me wonder how much of that is affecting Johnny and maybe the the concentration of supernatural events around Twin Peaks is maybe affecting him to the point that he's hurling himself into walls and might be a danger to himself um, yeah and so here he's yeah he's bound up he has like bags over his hands right uh, he has like a, a little a helmet leather on. helmet on it's very much like a child like a baby who like th- you know when babies are born and you put those little mittens on them so yeah, they yeah. can't scratch themselves yeah. and they put helmets but here it's it's taken to like a totally, whole other level because his yeah. feet are uh, wrapped up in, and in the chair things. is even tied yeah. to the to the, to to the, the table, table I think yeah so and it's very yeah it, I think over the top based on how he hurt himself he, his jaw might be wired shut like he has braces or something on his teeth some yeah sort of when metal. he tries to speak later it's only mumbled through clenched yeah. closed teeth but he definitely has some kind of grill yeah on his, on his mouth maybe to protect mouth. himself or to fix something that some damage that he caused it's it's hard to tell also um, when this scene is playing um this great orchestral version of the old 1920s standard charmaine is playing it's very familiar to those of you who have seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest or um I remembered it from Monty Python's Flying Circus. There are mm-hmm. a couple of scenes where it's used to great comedic effect during romantic interludes. Um, so to have this song that's very wistful and the perfect song, for, like it reminds me instantly of the 1950s mm-hmm. with this kind of grotesque teddy bear. Yes, and then Richard. And then Richard oh, comes yeah. in. And, and even before just, Richard arrives, the, the camera literally just tilts a little bit. To the, mm. to, and it's 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 putting you off oh, right yeah. off the beginning. Absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, we get a notice. There's an intercom, and yeah. Sylvia's told that uh, Miss Horn, your grandson's here, which means that she has a gate to this complex. I think it's presumably. a gated community. Yes, exactly. So there's somebody at the gate. Yeah. who monitors everything because then Richard drives in there's like a few seconds yeah. between when he exactly so why in. why is he allowed to come in like why didn't she right. just why she just said Richard if this Richard Horn never shows up never let him in right like it's odd that because then as soon well, as he gets then, there and she also opens the door yeah and she like I would just bar the doors and keep it shut I wouldn't even go out onto my step and say hi to him like yeah. say get off my property yeah. like she would no the door's gonna stop him because you know he no but it's one extra obstacle too. like I there were and a lot of the questionable or something. yeah not to put the blame on the victim no, no no but these are just the questions that we had like why Obviously, she fears him enough, but maybe doesn't fear him enough mm-hmm. to keep all the doors and access to her place yeah. closed to him. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he does barge in. Yeah. Uh, and he does say, hey, Grandma. And this is the mm-hmm. first time we were like, okay, yes. Not only is he a horn, he is most likely Audrey's. And uh, an interesting note, subtitles for other languages that I've seen people talk about on Twitter suggest that, that it's his mother's mother. Oh, because the, in, they have to in, specify in, that. Yeah, 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 in yeah. certain languages, like we just say grandmother, but yeah. other languages will specify which grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's advanced knowledge that other languages have it 
makes me wish I spoke more than just yeah, yeah, yeah. English and Spanish. Yeah. And, but anyway, um, yeah, so, so yeah, that's a good point, I, I yeah. think it was somebody who said in Swedish it, yeah, or yeah. another Scandinavian language. Yeah. They said it was his mother's mother. So mm. it's not Johnny's son. This no. is this is Audrey's, Audrey's son. Yeah. I think we've pretty much nailed that down. Yeah. Uh, and he comes in and threatens her. He yeah. chokes her, uh, gets the number for the safe out of her, mm-hmm. um, steals all the money from her purse and dumps all the valuables from the safe in. And she's, she's well, she does a couple things. She asks him what he did. To, yeah. Because he says, well, you always wanted me to leave and now I'm leaving. I just need some more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and as he's choking her, she asks what he did. He seems kind of taken aback by that question, too. A little too. bit, yeah. 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 Um, and then he gets the number anyways. Yeah. Uh, and then when she's on the ground uh, waiting for him to come back from the safe, she says to Johnny, like, we can't make him upset or anything. Right. Like, she's obviously dealt with... Angry Richard. Yeah, angry porn. Richard in the past. Yeah. Like, uh, that he gets just... He gets worse the more you say no mm-hmm. to him, right? Um, and, yeah, and so Johnny, you know, tries to help, but he rolls over and falls onto the ground because yeah. he's he's tied up. Um, he's trying to scream or help or shout or something, but he can't. Um, and, yeah, uh, J- uh, Richard packs up all of the things, calls her a bunch of names again, yeah. and, and leaves. Um, and, yeah, the... the I am especially a fan of the way the camera kind of floats and, and mm-hmm. it's almost like uh, it's very steady cam. It's it's almost like you're out in space mm. um, and it's very disorienting and it makes shots like there's one of uh, Sylvia kind of like biting her hand or something mm-hmm. that feels very melodramatic. It feels mm-hmm. like something out of a soap opera. Yeah. Um, but with the music and the way that the camera's disoriented you, it makes it that feel real. It makes it feel like this is not just an over response yeah. to the situation. This is warranted because look what kind of crazy stuff's going on here. Right. Um, and I just thought that was lovely. I think that's a that's a great David Lynch scene that doesn't it doesn't fit the usual tropes of Lynch-esque kind of... But it does in a way because does, you do get that... Yeah. The song doesn't fit and yes. you've got that horrible teddy bear still asking, hello, Johnny, how yeah, are you today? Yeah, no, exactly. Over and over and over yeah. again. Um, it's almost part of the soundtrack, yeah. Yeah, well, it is It is the yeah. soundtrack, yeah. right? Like, that's all you hear is the song and the teddy bear. And uh, and then whatever Richard's doing, fumbling around. And mm-hmm. it's... Uh, so people have been really upset about the violence in this scene, the language that's used in this scene. Yeah. Um, it is incredibly jarring. And, and I think just to come back to the unpredictability, maybe that's the wrong word to use about Richard, but... But it seems like there is no middle ground. He is just extremes whenever he has an emotional response. And I think that's what makes him We've frightening. We've never seen him a, a positive emotional response. No, but, but you know, he even his afraid. neutral response seems like... Does he have one? Well, like when he's just sitting in the bar, you know, okay. when you first see him, you don't really get the sense that he's going to fly off the handle that quickly. Or right before he talks God. to Miriam... You know, you don't you don't really get the sense that he's going to fly off completely and, well, and he, murder her. He, he fakes it very well. He's you know, if he's a pure I psychopath, guess. he's he's learned to, you know, pretend to be happy and normal and functioning. Mm-hmm. And you know, I it's guess not real, true. but yeah. So but it does. I, yeah. So so finding out that that he is Audrey's son, and seeing the capacity for evil, I'm still convinced that that Mr. C is the father. Oh yeah. And with the implication of of Mr. C having visited Audrey in the hospital when she was comatose, um, made me think of the scene that we saw earlier with Janie and Coop. Because here's a, a, the roles are completely reversed, but here's someone else 
I, I don't even want to say that Janie is preying on Cooper because she's not in the same way. Well, they have a relationship that she understands, which she's exploiting sure, a yes. little bit, but it's not it's not the same. No, but but it is sort of the same in the sense that here's a character who is completely incapable of consenting properly yeah. to the sexual um, advances that you're making. Very similar to what potentially happened in a hospital with Cooper's doppelganger and Audrey. Mm. Um, and it does call, you know, if, if that is the case, and I think it's very heavily implied that it is, and maybe we're wrong and, and we're going to be thrown another curveball and Audrey, it's John Justice Wheeler's kid or whatever. Um, it, it makes me wonder, and a lot of people have brought this up too, that uh, if the roles were reversed in Janie and Cooper's scene and it was you know gender roles were reversed we wouldn't we wouldn't be as accepting of that no absolutely. that scene yeah um so so to have that now coming back into play it just it's an interesting contrast and it's um i i just i think it's important to to keep in mind as we go through future episodes yep agreed so we go back to Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and Duncan Todd mm-hmm. is in his office. Mm-hmm. Um, his Roger, I think his name yeah. is, got that one right, uh, comes in and tells him, yeah, it's true, they caught out the spike, it's all over the news. Um, and then he leaves, and someone else is in the office. He Anthony. didn't notice him until yeah. the end, but... Yeah. Uh, Anthony, uh, what's his last name? Did we get it? Uh, Anthony, Anthony Sinclair. Sinclair, sure. Um, is there from Lucky 7 Insurance Company, uh, and Duncan Todd... Calls him over, says, "Don't sit down, though." Like this is a very like one-sided relationship. And you know, earlier Duncan Todd didn't give really a menacing feel, but here he turns on to yes. a very high degree of menace. I mean, we yes. knew that he was ordering uh, Dougie's murder, basically from episode two or three or so. Um, but you know, it was kind of like at a distance. Like he didn't really want to do it. He just wanted. Uh, you know, he was just doing it for Doppelkoop or well, something. Yeah, did you get the sense that maybe he was like a reluctant participant yeah. in all of this? And then all of a sudden for him to be ordering Dougie's murder, basically, yeah. for, via Anthony Sinclair, yeah, is well, kind of yeah, it's, disturbing. It's a little more disturbing, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, uh, so he does. He says, I want you to go talk to the Mitchum brothers. Get them to kill Cooper, basically. Yeah. Tell them that they cost your company the, or they cost you guys the $30 million that you never got back from your, or was it $40 million? $30 million. $30 million from uh, the insurance from your hotel that burned down. Um, tell them that Dougie did that, and then hopefully they'll kill Dougie for you. If that doesn't work, you're going to have to kill Dougie. Right. And my note right away was like, okay, so it's definitely not going to work. We know the Mitchum brothers are not going to kill Dougie because at some point, Anthony has now been laid out this extra task that we know is going to come back of him trying to kill Cooper. Right. Um, which is interesting to me that, I mean, here it just feels like perhaps a bit of light foreshadowing. Um, but to me, it kind of negates <laughs> what's coming in the Mitchum storyline. I still want to see where it, where it goes and How what happens mean? with it. Well, I feel like they're not going to kill him. Absolutely. And we not just no, because he's right. the good guy, but also now because we know that someone else is going to try and kill him after that, even uh, in the form of Anthony Sinclair. Right. No, and what you said earlier before we started recording was that maybe because we've we've been set up to not trust the Mitchum brothers, but potentially whatever's happening with Anthony and Duncan Todd will, you know, if they have a mutual enemy, yeah. if the Mitchum brothers and Dougie Coop suddenly have a mutual enemy in Duncan Todd and Mr. C because yeah. he's working for Mr. Yeah. C, um, maybe they'll team up or yeah. something, yeah. which would completely, you know, everything that we've thought about um, the Mitchum brothers, about the Mitchum yeah, brothers yeah. up to this point will have been subverted. And it might which be why fits, we're humanizing. Exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly yeah. Which fits absolutely with with the theme of, of, 
a lot of the character introductions yeah. that we've talked about in, in yeah. uh, The Return so far. Yeah. So, um... The next scene is yeah. the best scene. I think so. It was it's the, the first time. So we've been doing this uh, Bix Riddick predicts um, thing on Twitter where yeah. we try and predict very badly the most ridiculous thing that we can think of that will happen in the next episode. This is the first time that we've been sort of right. Yeah, yeah. Because we got we didn't get fifty eight minutes of Constalbert. No. Hashtag Constalbert. Yeah, we got twenty seconds. We got a few seconds, but it was the but best. It was great. Oh, it was, it was so like good. a little. Uh, I think one of the, somebody I read called it an oasis. Yeah, in this, it's so in true. This, yeah. this episode of horror yeah. and weirdness, we get this this beautiful oasis of Albert and Constance having dinner at the hotel, um, viewed from afar by Tammy and Gordon, which is just a, a really nice little moment between yeah. these four characters who are now all on the same side, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Yes, I really I, quite liked it. Exactly. Well, and it just you know again, Albert and Constance are my two favorite characters right now yep. so they them being together cements it and I love that you know they wrote these characters and they th- they thought yes they are going to have so much chemistry Constance is going to be so awesome yeah because you know sometimes the actor or actress might not be able to pull it off in the right way um, oh no but she definitely but she does. did and then that yeah. was that's the testament to it that you know these characters who meet for like 10 seconds um, right away, you know they are they are a great match for each other, and then it comes true. The like literally the next episode um, is just a great writing touch. I mean, that shows a lot of uh, faith in the characters you're writing to to know that you can get them on that page so quickly. And I also uh, credit to the casting of, yes, of these course. roles. Jane yes. Adams is wonderful as she's Constance. Yes, yeah, she's been doing um, just a great job. And and every character who's been cast, even the ones that we we aren't as fond of, like we said, are cast perfectly. Yes. Because it's exactly what the role yeah. needs. Yeah. Richard is scary as hell. Yeah. <laughs> and he, but he's also a pretty boy, twenty something, right? Sure. So he does a great job, you know. So the next scene brings us to the Silver Mustang, and we finally get the payoff for uh, the Mitchums and Anthony Sinclair, um, and also kind of the the final piece of this candy puzzle, uh, which we've been building up to the the whole episode. So they send Candy to go down and get Anthony, who's they see with the the, the general manager or floor manager, whoever it is. Yeah. Um, she, I don't know if she just doesn't hear or if she hears and doesn't respond. But uh, well, she she asks, she clarifies. You want me to bring him here? Well, she doesn't even hear them for at first. Like um, Rodney says, "Can we get him? Can we get him?" And it's Bradley who has to say, "Candy, can go get him." Yeah. And that's when she starts questioning, and and it's like this goes beyond ditzy. I think at this point, it's like. Yeah. It's, it's something else. What, what you said about her and Dougie being similar is yeah, very true. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, yeah. um, so anyway, they, they watch on the monitor as Candy goes down and talks to Anthony, and they have this long, drawn-out conversation, and it goes on for a long time, way longer than you would expect these guys to have patience for. And I love that uh, it was the counter-Esperanto guys yeah. who <laughs> pointed out, they're like, it's almost like the Mitchum brothers. Are the only ones who are aware that they're in a Lynch film. Well, in yeah, terms and they're getting pacing. frustrated yeah, with like, the pacing oh. of their own story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which <laughs> is which is so true because they're like, oh my God, are you serious? Like, What the fuck? Did we ask you to tell him her life story? For four fucking hours? Um, but it's, it's hilarious because it um, they, they won't fire her. I love that. Yeah, that this yeah. Part is like, 
<laughs> because Rodney gives this like exasperated look, and Bradley's like, "No, you know, if we fire her, she's got no place else to go." And it's like, poor girl. Like, <laughs> but it's like it's it's totally against type. Like I said earlier, that it's not what you would expect from a couple of gangsters. Like they actually care about Candy's well-being. Yeah. It's like the opposite of the way Richard treats women, or. Um, the way that a lot of characters in Twin Peaks are yeah. female characters are treated. Yeah. Um, here, these guys actually give a shit, and and they're the gangsters. They're yeah. the only characters who are like, from the start, archetypal bad guys, yeah. right? We've come to expect mobsters to be a certain way, and uh, and it, it's just masterful storytelling. As as writers, we recognize that right away. Yeah. Um, wish we could do it ourselves. I think <laughs> maybe this Definitely. will be inspiration for us to write better novels. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, yeah, she does bring uh, Anthony up. Um, and <laughs> they're like, well, what were you talking about? And and Tom Sizemore is just like, I wasn't talking. She did all the talking. And then they interrogate her like, what were you talking about? She, again, doesn't respond. And then when they finally get it out of her, she she says um, that we're on the version layer. The weather's going to be hot and smoggy tomorrow. And she's so happy that they have AC in their <laughs> hotel. I think she meant to resort. say inversion layer because I was looking it up. Like, version layer doesn't... Well, what is make, inversion layer? An inversion layer is when you've got um, different air pressures and oh, the air okay. pressure on top locks all the smog in <laughs> underneath. Makes sense, yeah. So when you're in an inversion layer, it creates this these really smoggy conditions just, that you get yeah. in Los Angeles and Mexico City and Vancouver mm-hmm. suffers from too. Okay, okay. Um, that, So I think yes. that's what she's talking that, about. That does make much more sense. But anyway, it's just like the most innocuous of conversations. But it, it's interesting that it goes back to what we caught the weather report yes. in the earlier scene and so it's just she's know, clearly paying attention yeah, she, she's, she's catching things. things like again it's almost perhaps the opposite of Dougie maybe you know where maybe. maybe she's faking this whole thing I don't um, know if she's faking it I think it's just selective you know focus well, and she can focus on the bug but she can't focus on Rodney sitting right there yeah. underneath the remote control perhaps. she can focus on the weather report but she can't focus but she was on really focused talking. on her own crying I mean I, I I think it's interesting because Amy Shields the actress who plays uh, Candy Candy got a lot of press in the openings. She was right. in some of the trailers and stuff like this. And I think uh, it was... Uh, we, were, we were listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped last week. They had Joel Baco on, and he was talking about how, you know, Amy Shields got a lot of this press coverage. Right. Um, she's only been yeah, in one she's scene. she's only been in one scene, and she stood against a wall. Yeah. So we hope we got more. And, you know, we we're did. getting this. Yeah. Is there potential that actually she has an even larger role right. than just the ditzy blonde girl? Perhaps mm-hmm. she's an FBI agent undercover uh-huh. to take over their organization or something. I it's maybe wouldn't go that far, but it's totally possible. Well, it's possible, right? And and you got to kind of wonder because um, nobody else uh, beyond the original cast and the bigger names like Robert Neffer and uh, Jim Belushi got that kind of coverage before before the announcement. Right. Um, characters who have a much bigger role in this well, in this did, series. Did she not voice Tammy Preston's character in? That's in what I the thought Secret too, History but I could never Peaks? find. I could never nail down an actual cast list for that. I would book, love to find that out. book. Yeah, me too. Um, and it's interesting because she's an Irish actress, mm-hmm. um, but she here this act this accent's like it sounds like a Las Vegas like Southwest kind mm. of accent. Um, but Tammy Preston in the book had more of like a Midwestern accent. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if it is her... It could be somebody be else great. completely. But, yeah. But you're right that she did have this this great buildup and we hadn't seen a lot of her. So it, it really does... I mean, people have been upset about a lot of the, the, the lack of certain characters. Mm-hmm. Audrey, Big Ed, um, and even some of the characters that we have seen who haven't been given much coverage, like Nadine. Sarah Palmer. Sarah Palmer. um, There's a lot still to come. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that this has all been, you know, 
you guys are going to get sick of us saying this, but it's an 18-hour <laughs> movie, and we're only in Act 2, right? Yeah. So, I mean, not everything has been set up, or if it has been set up, it's still, like, the moves are still being, pieces are still being moved. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we, we still have to be a little bit patient, I think, yeah. with a lot of this. Yeah. So this is just a great reminder yeah. of that. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, anyway, so, yeah. Anthony gives them the information that Duncan Todd told him to give, that Dougie was the one who denied their claim, and he's their enemy. You you, you have an enemy in yes, Douglas Jones, exactly. he says, as he gets pulled out. But the guys, they don't really seem that upset about well, it. Well, when they, when he first mentions Dougie Jones, they kind of look at each other sure. like, oh, this guy again, he's yeah. definitely in trouble. But I think they're just playing it cool in front of him. They don't Could trust be. this guy, so they don't want to tip their hand that they're going to do anything or not. Right. Um, and it's funny, they... Uh, uh, Jim Belushi, which one is he? Bradley. Bradley. Uh, he says, I, I can throw a car as far as I trust this, uh, this yes, insurance yeah. salesman, right? Um, so, you know, it's kind of funny because in the next scene, we see them taking him at, at his word. Um, but I think that might come back again if we do find out, if they do uh, run into Dougie mm-hmm. Jones in the future. Um, are they really going to trust Anthony at this point? Uh, right. The potential is no. So Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's set up really nicely because um, Tom Sizemore playing Anthony Sinclair, he does a great job, um, again, kind of against type because he's usually the tough guy. And here he's like the beta to not only the Mitchum brothers, but even to Duncan Todd. He's like yeah. Mr. Todd, Mr. Todd. Yeah, yeah. Like he's not he's not the big tough guy yeah. that you expect Tom Sizemore to play. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> or he's, he is on the internet. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the guy who plays on the internet. Exactly. Um, but... He seems surprised that they aren't as, yeah, yeah. you know, angry or, or he's expecting a certain reaction and he doesn't get it. So mm-hmm. that that was interesting to me, too, that yeah. he. Um, no, for sure. I think. Yeah. Even as he's being let out yeah. by Candy, um, he's repeating like you have an enemy. Yeah. An enemy. He really wants to. Yeah. Make sure so get it. Um, probably because he doesn't want to have to kill Ducky yeah. himself. Yeah. But, I think so. Um, so I, he's just a weasel. Like yeah. I think that's that's what you're supposed to get yeah. from this is that oh, Anthony sure. Sinclair is just a massive weasel. Yeah. So, so uh, we follow the the Mitchum brothers back to their house. Right. Um, there's some nice fast jazz. It's great jazz. It's great music. Um, I didn't catch the name of the song. No, or whether Battle of Nancy wrote it. But, but it feels it feels like one of those Grady Tate quick fast fire walk with me. Yes. Um, jazz yes. pieces that we heard. Yeah. Um, which would be fantastic if it if it was. We'll have to go back and look. But either way, it's it's great to set this kind of anxious tone for mm-hmm. the scene because it's almost like a repeat of the earlier scene with the girls pouring drinks and stuff. But now we have both Mitchums sitting on the couch in very close tête-à-tête mm-hmm. conditions, um, just fuming yeah. over the implication that Dougie ripped them off twice. Because yes, that that's the really big one. Is that yeah? Because uh, he won all that money first of all, half a million dollars yeah. that he won at the casino a few nights ago. But now they find out that thirty million dollars four thirty million four hundred and forty seven thousand dollars has been squandered yeah. by him. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what really gets uh, Rodney. Yes, that's what really gets Rodney's goat. Yeah. is that it's the the thirty million dollars, right? So, so they he says he's gonna give him a call tomorrow, this Dougie Jones, and, yeah. and set up a meeting. Yeah. So I I do feel like their storyline is gonna be yeah, they're quickly. gonna inter- intersect in what yeah. way we don't know, but there's a lot of potential yeah for some yeah interesting something stuff. interesting yeah for sure. So now back at the hotel, we have a really interesting scene that actually yeah, frightened in, me quite in, a bit. Uh, what's it called? This is in South Dakota. South Dakota, yeah. sorry. The the hotel that uh, Gordon and the FBI are staying at. So we see Gordon drawing um, what looks like 
a dog or something with antlers mm-hmm. um, next to a hand that's reaching out to kind of maybe grab the, the yeah. dog or something. Yeah. Um, he's drinking from a glass of red wine. And on the table beside him on the left-hand side is a little red box with two lights on the top that looks a lot like the uh, the box that we saw in Argentina. Um, or it could be similar to Cooper's recording device that could be looks some, smaller like that. So it's some kind of... A, when we zoom in on it, it's hard to see what it is, but it doesn't have a screen on it. It just ha- It's like yeah. a box with these two lights on it. So he, he hears a, a knock at the door and goes to answer it, but um, what he sees when he opens the door is like a, a vision almost of Laura from Firewalk With Me when she goes to visit Donna, and she's crying. Mm-hmm. And the music that underlays it and Gordon's reaction to it, it really did frighten me a lot. Like I, really? Yeah, I had like a fear response, like my stomach dropped, and I was like, oh, I don't want to watch. I wanted to cover my eyes. Like I was really afraid. Okay. I don't know why. Um, well, it's, it is weird. I mean, we've we've seen kind of overlays before, but mm-hmm. this is like, he's seeing Fire Walk With Me. Yeah, you know? and it's, it's another it's scene odd. where somebody's answering the door, and mm-hmm. it, it almost made me think that he actually did like that Laura was actually there yeah I think that I think that's what it's kind of supposed to be implied and then you hear uh, Sarah in the slow down Laura yes uh, call out again and that's when she disappears right Um, and and it reveals Albert standing there yeah but but Cole has like this momentary but it's very brief Mm -hmm. you know I feel like it's not the first time he's had something like that happen Mm -mm. you know master of the blue rose case you see some weird stuff I'm sure yeah Um, but yeah so he sees Albert calls him in um, and Albert gives us some very important information. Right. That he has, uh, they, they've been tracking Diane's cell phone. Um, and they know that she received this text from somebody that they assume is Mr. C. But not only that, she responded. And her response to the conversation the, yeah, around the dinner table, table is lively. Her response, which was heavily encrypted, was that they have Hastings. He's going to take them to the site. And it's almost like a confirmation for Gordon, who suspected since Diane hugged him back in part six, Six, I think, um, that something is not right with Diane. And his response is, we got to keep her close. So it made me wonder what is going on even more. Yeah. Because. Yeah. And um, so. Interestingly enough, last week on uh, 25 Years Later site, I wrote the Black Lodge component of What's Up With Diane, right. where we discussed, you know, is Diane double-crossing? Is she triple-crossing? Is What's going on here? Um, and I took the side that she was probably working with Doppelcoop, just right. based on how the message was sent and her kind of reaction and, mm-hmm. and everything. And here it seems to confirm that. Um, there's still the possibility that she's playing a long con game, that she's right. she's been working with DC knowing who he is. Um, and still trying to take him down or something. There's really not that much clarity. Yeah. And the fact that Cole doesn't, like, just turn on her right away, that Mm -hmm. he just wants to watch her, um, may lend some fuel to that fire, that perhaps she is still working for the forces of good in some way. There is the possibility that I've seen that um, some people have been saying that maybe it's Diane's doppelganger or something, that that there's something more going on with Diane in that respect. we just don't have enough information yet to to say one way or the other, but um, but you can't discount anything with Twin Peaks. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I feel like we've got two seasons worth to introduce one doppelganger in the form of Cooper. I don't think we're going to get a bunch of other doppelgangers. Well, I think it's entirely possible if, if the worlds have been meshing and then yeah. and that there's overlap and maybe the there's some kind of singularity we're approaching where all the worlds will collapse into one that anything is possible i mean if we've got jerry you 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 and i were talking about this earlier this episode that jerry might be 
flitting back and forth between worlds, why not Diane, right? It could absolutely be be that way. Well, I mean, not one hundred percent sure. But. No, and we don't we don't know anything about what Diane's been doing the last twenty five years, right? We know there was one night that may be important, or it may have been a setup. You Maybe know, presi- presumably now that whole thing might have been an act between mm-hmm. Diane and Doppel Cooper. Um, really hard to say. So. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know at this point. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah, let's we'll wait and see. I mean, this is, again, one of the big mysteries now is like what's going on with Diane yeah. and how is her connection with Doppelcoop going to play out? Right. Um, we so also, then, yeah, yeah so then uh, Tammy comes in and she has a photograph that was pulled off of one of the earliest uh, SD cards from the penthouse murders that happened way back in, in uh, part, part two. One, part two. Part one, part one, part, one, part two yeah, was yeah. when things were, were happening in New York. And it's a, a photo of Mr. C and a balding man or a bald mm-hmm. man standing in front of the glass box. So it kind of confirms that Mr. C might be the billionaire behind all of this. Or he came through the portal that time. Or that's when he came through the portal. I don't know. that that I don't think he would have come through the portal if he's always been out in the world. Yeah, but maybe he's been traveling back and forth. I mean, maybe. he could have gone to the convenience store at some point to have a meeting or something. I mean, it's really... We still don't know what that portal does, really. Yeah, it seems to capture any sort of travel through the dimensions, perhaps, but it doesn't seem to hold them for very long. No, but but that's why I think that this is a capture device that's meant to um, kind of... And and that Mr. C is behind it all. I think that's what's implied. It could be, yeah. Um, So the other guy in the photo yeah. in some questions we put it to John again so he'll come back to us with a with a response theories, we'll get to yeah. at the end but um, who is this other guy yeah. and I know there was some interesting conversation that yeah. we were having with Aaron Mento online yeah uh, who posited that maybe it, it's uh, Beverly's husband right who was also bald uh, seated <laughs> you know beyond that maybe they don't have too much in common but I mean the potential is that uh yeah, perhaps that's why he's sick in the first place. You know, perhaps that's why they have young people uh, watching the box because it gives off an unhealthy amount of radiation. And if you're older and your body's already accumulated a lot of stress, perhaps you die from it, uh, which might have been what happened to Beverly's husband. Uh, but who knows? I mean, this character is now another new interesting mystery to uh, tell. We literally only have the side of his face. Yeah, if that even. It's more yeah. the back of his head almost. It's Yeah, it's really cool. So yeah, we'll... I can keep an the eye other on that. the the part that that Aaron mentioned that um, is that maybe he was searching for a cure for his cancer. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, there's lots cool. of options there. Yes. What's going need on? To mention it all. Yep. If you're going to mention it. Um, one thing we haven't talked about yet is is the whole idea of Gordon drawing at the beginning, and I thought this was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should have talked about it when we were there. No, it's good though. Um, so if he has this red box beside him, and if it is connected to some kind of spiritual thing or if it is connected to the supernatural in some way is it possible that that this is gordon doing some kind of automatic drawing or or um channeling of some sort to to focus in on this this energy that is being cast through this device or and then he's drawing what he feels or drawing what he sees and automatic writing is something that goes back a long long time it has a a deep history in the occult where um where you would you would literally go into a trance and you would channel whatever was happening, um, either in in a drawing or through writing. Um, it's what you know mediums and seances are are thought to have been tapping into, hmm. right? Okay. In some kind of perception. 
uh, well, like, receiver? No, you're, yeah, you're kind of like a receiver for the for the messages that are coming from from beyond. Okay. So if that's what Gordon is doing, it might explain what he's drawing. That mm-hmm. the drawing doesn't have any literal meaning, but it has maybe some kind of metaphorical or supernatural meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, and that, that's interesting. I mean, I I think it's going to be important because we get the the pan into it or the oh, zoom yeah. into it, right? Um, so I think that's, it's definitely going to be an important thing. I just took it as, um, we're getting close to grabbing the thing by the horns. Whatever yeah, the mystery creature is, we are now approaching it. And that's one of the, there's three sec, uh, they're all at the end actually, but I mentioned at the beginning of the, uh, the episode saying that there were clues that we're getting t- close to something big. And I feel like this is one of them that the hands are almost on the antlers. Mm-hmm. We're about to go for a wild ride on the back of this animal. Um, and that, that's just how I interpret it. It was well, and fairly the, straightforward. There could but, yeah. be nothing more than it, it. It could be nothing more than just um, David Lynch showing what the creative process is like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you are a creative person, sometimes you get in the zone and you just start doing whatever it is that happens. And you write something, or you draw something, or you paint something, or you compose a piece of music and you don't really know where it comes from and that seems to be maybe what what he's doing he's got his beverage of choice and he's um created this this Mm -hmm. image um so other people have have suggested that it that it could be just a a cipher for david lynch's own creative process in that way with gordon cole being played by lynch himself um it the link is really strong between Gordon Cole and David Lynch, yeah. right? This is this is yeah. David Lynch on screen. Mm-hmm. So I like that 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 idea that maybe this is just you know yeah. an elaborate Mary Sue, Gary Stu, Gary Stu, and that um, and that he's just showing us what what his creative process mm-hmm. is. Yeah, like. no, no, I totally buy it too. That could sure. be. So we go back to Twin Peaks yes. and Ben at uh-huh. the Great Northern uh, gets a call from Sylvia. Uh, she's obviously very upset. You know, she tells him what happened, that Richard came in, beat her up, basically, and yeah. threatened them. Uh, and, you know, she they have, you know, here we find out that they're divorced, essentially. Yeah. they She says that... Um, she needs more money she now needs that more he's money stolen and, everything, and he won't give her any money, so she's going to go to the lawyers. Yeah. Um, um, and it's, it's kind of tough to watch, because A, you know, we knew Ben was trying to be good at the end of season two, and we didn't know how far that went. Yeah. Um, so it obviously didn't go to saving his marriage, mm-hmm. um, which isn't a big surprise. But uh, it also goes here. Uh, he kind of falls apart a little bit. So yeah. he, he grabs his head in his hands and he finally asks Beverly, do you want to go for dinner with me? Right. We don't hear her response. But but it's going to be yes. Yeah. Probably. Mm-hmm. And uh, But we do get, yeah, him grasping his head, kind of like Bill Hastings does in, mm-hmm. the, in the cell. Um, we see he's still wearing his wedding band, which mm-hmm. is really sad. So it almost makes you wonder if he tried to hold on to the marriage and that he was more invested in it than Sylvia was, mm-hmm. which I don't think is any surprise um, given where we left them at the end of season two. But um, but it maybe is a surprise given what we know about Ben yeah. and his proclivities yes. and maybe his lack of interest in any kind of monogamy or... Um, uh, yeah, fidelity. Fidelity. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting here that he's he turned it down of, earlier. So yeah, I mean, presumably and, he's been living fairly straight for the last twenty five years. Well, and people but, have been wondering how good this act, if it is an act or if it is true, and mm-hmm. and you get the sense in this scene that it has been true. He's in a mm-hmm. private moment. He's not performing for anybody. Yeah, 
and and he's still trying really hard and then he breaks down like you said and and then finally asks beverly for dinner so i do think it is sincere yeah um and he asks about johnny he's concerned about sylvia and what's happened um curiously no mention of audrey you would think that they would want to contact the mother of their grandson He's not um, being a dick. Yeah. Which makes you wonder what actually is going on with Audrey. Yeah, where is Audrey? Yeah. I mean, it's not just a question for us, like, because we want to see her, but, you know, like, it's important to the plot. Like, yeah. why are they not contacting her? Yeah. Is she off somewhere? Is, is she incapacitated? We yeah. still don't have any clue about how she survived the bank explosion. Except for that she was in a coma. That right, but how, what state is she in yeah. now, right? Yeah. So maybe she is still in a coma maybe she's been yeah, reduced wheelchair bound, in, perhaps yeah, exactly. there's something else that's wrong with her yeah it's really scary uh so the final scene of uh dialogue that happens mm-hmm. in the episode is um given by it's it's another conversation between the log lady and hawk and she goes into a beautiful uh kind of tone poem i guess just free verse um on electricity and where they're hawk Electricity is humming. You hear it in the mountains and rivers. You see it dance among the seas and stars and glowing around the moon. But in these days, the glow is dying. What will be in the darkness that remains? The Truman brothers are both true men. They are your brothers. And the others, the good ones who have been with you. Now the circle is almost complete. Watch and listen to the dream of time and space. It all comes out now, flowing like a river. That which is and is not. Hawk. Laura is the one. And For her to finish on Laura is the one is yeah. really interesting because this is the the every episode has been the episode descriptions have been given in terms of dialogue mm-hmm. a, a throwaway or a disconnected line of dialogue and this was the title for this episode and and it has the episode has nothing to do with laura i mean not of really course they don't really have to connect but, but it here, has everything to do with yeah laura, exactly in a way and i was reading a great article which we posted to our our twitter account um all about misogyny in america and how it infiltrates twin peaks it's something we've talked about a lot mm-hmm. in relation to uh, season one and two the fact that the Laura is the one in the sense that you have to view Twin Peaks through the lens of her murder. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people forget that and they think that it is only about cherry pie and coffee and they think it's about um, the crazy, quirky, supernatural stuff and it's about, you know, Civil War plot lines and, um, you know, yeah. weird glass boxes and, and those are all part and parcel of this greater story but you have to view it through the lens of Laura's murder and that's where this whole story started was if, if Laura hadn't been murdered and and before that if she hadn't been brutally assaulted and taken advantage of her whole life 
um, we wouldn't have a story. So this episode, which is filled with all kinds of horrible misogyny and um, really, really terrible situations for the women involved, and some of the men, like Johnny, who has been reduced to, yeah. you know, he can't yeah. do anything, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's really important now more than ever to refocus on Lauren. I think that's what people have been talking about the return being the return of Cooper to Twin Peaks, but but I really think that there's more to it than that, mm-hmm. and it it has to be about Laura as well. Um, but we don't know where Laura went no. after she left the Black Lodge. So, um, and and here's this is the other one that made me think that we're heading up to something big. The fact that she's saying that the circle's almost complete, yes. uh, it's going to come out like a river. Uh, like a flood almost uh, all the all the things that are happening um, yeah I think that's going to be yeah I think that's just a, another clear indication that what we are close to a major turning point um, episode slash part 8 felt like a little bit of that um, but it was really like a tonal shift and then we went back to where we were right. I think whatever if we're going to hit a major milestone here it's going to change all the storylines. It's going to, you know, complete the circle, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, you don't get any more ominous or direct <laughs> an indication of this than from the Log Lady, of course. So, What do you think of maybe the idea that um, completing the circle means bringing all the people who are necessary to solving this murder back, or solving this crime, or solving this mystery, I guess, back into play? Because she talks yeah. about the, the Truman Brothers, and mm-hmm. she talks about... The, the people other ones who have, that, who yeah. have the brothers, good ones yeah. who are your brothers. I took that as as the circle being complete. Like not all the people are there yet. Mm-hmm. So could that be a hint that Harry will come back? Could it be a hint that they're getting closer to finding out who Cooper is? Yeah. Um, that it's it's not just the story circle is complete, but the circle of players who are necessary to mm. figuring this out are almost back. Yep. No, absolutely. I think I think those are going to be one and the same, really. Um, but I mean, here's the. Here's the thing. We don't know what the central mystery is yet. I no, mean, we've got a lot of different mysteries, We've got mysteries, a lot of we? different mysteries, and we've got a lot of stories, of which Cooper slash Dougie is one of them, and probably the, the biggest and the <laughs> most, the one that we're all watching the most. Um, but I really do feel like this is actually going to be Laura's story still. Oh, yeah. And Laura's story is still coming to the forefront. I feel mm-hmm. like all the circle that's going to be complete is to form a, an O, a one, a, a mm-hmm. singular unit, and Laura is that unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all these other stories are going to feed into whatever was in that ball that was sent down in, in yeah. the 40s, presumably, uh, by the giant. I think that's actually where the big event is going to be, and we're going to watch it potentially happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think... In terms of foreshadowing, this episode offered a lot, especially here at the end, uh, the next scene as well, actually, the, mm-hmm. the song out. Um, and I think that's worth uh, just keeping in mind for for future weeks as we'll see. It, may, it, might not even, it might not be next week. It might not even be the week after that. But as these other plot lines do continue and get closer to some sort of completion, where are we going to go from there? Yeah. Um, they haven't introduced new plot lines in quite a while, except for part eight. The, right. the girl with the bug. Yeah. Um, that's really the only one that's been added recently. Everything else has just been continuations of what we've already seen. So, um, and some of them might be reaching their conclusions soon. So, is, are we going to see something new in, in future weeks? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, and and just for the final scene, uh, it's Rebecca Del Rio, mm-hmm. uh, who did the. the she was a singer. She, yeah, she in, was this the singer at Club Silencio. Yes, and, in uh, Drive. I didn't recognize her at the beginning, and I think it's because she was singing in English. And I find maybe other people feel the same way that when singers who are singing in multiple languages, like if you're singing in your native language, you're going to have a different tone to your voice than if you're singing in another language that isn't your yeah. your native language. Yeah. So it didn't sound like her. But then as soon as she started singing in Spanish, in I'm Spanish. like, of course oh, yeah, it's Rebecca Del Rio. Yeah, you know, I had the um, same response. She has such a beautiful voice, though, mm-hmm. and I really feel like this is. Um, the first roadhouse feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it yes. feels like a Julie Cruz yes. moment. Yes. Right? It doesn't feel Without like a pop band yeah. or a popular musician. And that's probably partly because it was written by David Lynch. Like mm-hmm. it's a song that was written by David Lynch. So. Well, and, and the lyrics are interesting because yeah. she's singing about uh, that place, you know, under the stars. Yeah, but uh, there's no stars began. now. Exactly. And and, and uh, yeah. it's and, yeah, it's just it's really interesting because I feel like this is the third one, like going back to the place where it all began, which is right. Laura's murder, right, which is right, Fire right. Walk with Me. Right. Gordon saw a moment of it right. to this episode. Are we going to see more of that? Are we going? Are we going to follow that frigate if it is Laura <laughs> uh, through the ages into Fire Walk with Me? Is right. it is it somewhere else that we're going? Um, but I feel like it is. It is definitely leading somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this song actually helps. It. Most of the other ones, yeah, have just been whatever songs and they, they play for the credits. But we see, just like kind of with Nine Inch Nails, their uh, set kind of set up the atomic explosion. This is actually part of the story. Mm-hmm. This is not just a, a, a title sequence scroll through. Uh, this is this is a part of the story that we're telling. So uh, I think it's really interesting. Oh, and Moby was in it. Moby was, was in it. Moby was the guitarist. Which is, you know, cool for those of us who remember the 90s. Did you ever get a copy of Play? The <laughs> album? No? No. Everybody had a copy of that one. No, I didn't. Oh, you had the singles though, right? No. Did you I download had, them? I had the one song that was on the, the beach soundtrack. Yes, okay, yeah. So you had a Moby song. Everybody had a Moby song in the 90s. I will tell you three things. So we asked John Bernardi, our resident Twin Peaks podcast expert, to answer three questions for us to Mm -hmm. the best of his abilities, and he did so. Um, He admitted this was a tough one. I think it was a tough one for all of us. Yeah. Even with all the, the levity and funny moments that that were peppered throughout the episode there was a lot of dark a lot of darkness and a lot of monsters yeah uh, john brought that up mm-hmm. so um thank you john for supplying us with the the answers that you did the questions we had were number one regarding miriam and her call to the police who took the call from her and why has no one been around to investigate John answers, I assume Richard thinks Chad took Miriam's call, and maybe Chad already told him as much before this scene happened, which is how Richard knew to go to her place. But on the other hand, they appeared to know each other already. The scenes are definitely being shown out of chronological sequence, so I bet this happened later that day or the day after the hit and run. And we kind of talked about this, that, mm-hmm. that possibly they were friends at some point in the past. Um, certainly they know each other from being in town together. But um, yeah, that... The idea that Richard maybe is making an assumption that Chad took the call. Um, one thing that that was noted online 
was that the name on the letter that Chad intercepts is not the same name that that uh, Miriam in has the in the credits. Yes. So we we noticed the name on the letter is Miriam Rogers, but in That's the credits I, we called her. It was a we called her, yes. yes. But but it's it's Miriam Sullivan in the credits. So mm-hmm. is it possible that maybe all of these assumptions are being made, and Chad and Richard aren't actually on the same page? And maybe the wrong letter was intercepted. Maybe there's another Miriam, and Chad just intercepted the wrong letter in the end. Um, yeah, it could it, be. It, it could be, but um, but like we said in in the episode when uh, we're recording this a little bit after the fact because of the time difference, it took a little while for for John to get it back to us. But um, in our episode when we were when we were recording yesterday, um, I think we said that it's possible that the investigation may be halted at some point because of inter- interference and that it'll pick up eventually and probably due to Lucy's vigilance. Yeah. I'm so, yeah, I think that'll, that's a possibility for sure, at least, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, our second question to John was, what did Becky do and why is Stephen, Stephen holding it over her head? Um, and John's response was, Becky probably told some, someone something about her home life or something mundane like that. Um, it doesn't take much for jer- junkie jerks to go off in Twin Peaks. It's a control thing no matter what she shared, and he's definitely cemented his place as a new Leo with this part. Pretty disgusted by it, and I hope Carl does something about it, too. Mm, interesting. Yes. I mean, Carl. Carl's a pretty hands-off manager as far as yeah. I can tell. But, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, yeah, that's what we thought as well, that it really does pick up the, the Leo and Shelly vibe, mm-hmm. brings it to the new level. I'm not sure that Carl will be the one, like you, like you said, to, to step in because of his kind of he doesn't want to have too much shit to deal with mm-hmm. right um but his reaction to it seems to seems to make me think that he's seen this before and oh, hasn't yeah. done anything in the past so yeah. i'm thinking he's not going to be the one that it'll be bobby. i mean i'd hope it would be <laughs> oh, it's got to be bobby her dad but that's okay yeah aiden is totally <laughs> convinced that bobby is is becky's dad yeah. um I, maybe shelly will step up and it'll be yeah, shelly who who saves her daughter in the end yeah um Maybe Becky will save herself. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Or Stephen will, you know, get off yeah, Sparkle habit, yeah. and <laughs> and wind up being a, a decent guy. Yeah. But who knows? Question number three. Who is the other man in the photo with Mr. C? Uh, so one of the things that we speculated was that it might have been Beverly's husband. Uh, John says that he bets the other person opposite Dobblecoop in Tammy's New York photo is the billionaire, but not anyone not necessarily anyone we've met and or that may be the body jeffries or imposter jeffries is borrowing mm. and or it's a person associated with that hotel guest from new york that ben horn mentioned in his first scene because here because of foretold events yeah i hadn't thought of that I, it was a, a thing that people have been talking about that you know the, the link between this woman guest at the great northern mm-hmm. from new york and the new york billionaire that maybe there was a link there yeah i don't know no, I, it that, could be, that yeah. could be that's a great connection um, yeah I love that John's like, and, or, and, or, because it's so true. Like, we're yeah. asking these questions, but there's no way we could get a decent, you know, proper, 100% for sure answer. It's no. it's just guessing at this point. So, um, really I, I like the hedging, John's guesses. Yes, exactly. hedging that, yeah. that John is doing, which is great. Um, I don't know. Do you still think after well, I know. sober I, seconds? Who knows? There's, there's so many possibilities at this point. I think it will, obviously be an important role for whoever it is but mm. um i still kind of feel that either the government is 
there's no billionaire that it's, that a, government it's a government organization or, or the FBI CIA joint yeah, task force something on like that maybe time travel or it could be <laughs> Philip Jeffries uh, right. I, I do like the Philip Jeffries angle because his role well, in all this is still very murky and I think one of the other podcasts and I want to say it was the there will be drinking podcast mm-hmm. I'm 99% sure it was them where I heard it heard it first said that I mean we noted the bonsai tree as well in the first scene in the New York office mm-hmm. or the New York penthouse yep. um, could it be Wyndham Merle could Wyndham Merle have a role to play I know that, that Kenneth Walsh isn't in the credits yeah. isn't er, on the cast list but there have been surprises already well, people I, who haven't been on the cast list potentially so I I would think more it was an FBI playbook thing that he mm-hmm. took out and he used uh, in his nefarious days as well. Right. But so to me, like it feels hiding, like a, hiding a bug in, yeah, a, bonsai in a bonsai tree. Yeah, it's like FBI standard practice. So right, he just right, right. used it, and for some reason, uh, Gordon Cole didn't notice until <laughs> until much well, later. It, it seems or maybe so Gordon Cole did too. know. Yeah. I mean, again, we there's so much there with Gordon. And, but it did seem so specific to Cooper's interest in Tibet and Josie being. I mean. Not really. She's not of Japanese heritage, but <laughs> yeah. she's of Asian heritage. Yes, so, I mean, the, the way was, that the yeah. 90s dealt with, you know, vaguely Oriental, yeah. you know, stuff. Heritage. Yes, all together is one. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But. No, it's, it's. I mean, it's definitely possible. Anybody. It, it, for all we know, it's, it's Diane. Yeah. Could be Diane. It could be Diane. Oh, all right. That's another possibility. So that was our take on part 10. Uh, Laura's the one. Uh, thanks for joining us. I, it was an interesting episode. I think yeah. I think got more out of it in the discussion than the yeah. actual watching in in some ways. Definitely um, one of those ones that I mean, the first time you watch it, you're kind of put off by it, but it rewards a second viewing if you can stomach it because there's some really tough stuff mm-hmm. uh, in in the episode. It's yeah. it's not an easy one. Um, hopefully next week we'll be. I'm telling you, something big's coming. It might not be the next episode, but it might, hopefully something's coming soon that'll really grab us again the way uh, other episodes have. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at Bickering Peaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.